Hello, everybody. Today is Wednesday, October 11th. Uh, I've got a big show planned for everybody today. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. Again, if you're wondering why you're seeing me here two days in a row instead of Jordan, uh, great news actually for Jordan. Uh, nothing has, has gone wrong or anything like that. Uh, he's actually in the process of wrapping up a book on uh, everything that's gone on in Flint, Michigan uh, for the last decade. Obviously, Jordan has spent uh, years and years and years on the ground covering that. Um, great that he actually was able to land a book deal for that. So again, congratulations to Jordan there. Um, today, we're going to be covering uh, two big stories uh, that are going on. Some of them might not be as sexy uh, as you're seeing in mainstream media, but I think these are two very, very important stories. We're going to start off the day first uh, with two organizers from the Climate Defiance. Uh, the, these folks are the ones you might have seen uh, kind of videos went viral uh, yesterday and another one today um, interrupting an event uh, with Transportation Secretary P Pete Buttigieg. Um, as well as a deputy energy secretary today. Um, we saw some videos earlier in the summer. Jordan's spoken with one organizer from their organization in the past as well. Uh, so excited to chat with those folks and for them spending the time here with us today. Uh, beyond that, we're also going to be taking a look at some news uh, kind of adjacent to what has been going on in East Palestine, Ohio, with the Norfolk Southern train derailment there. This isn't necessarily directly an East Palestine update, although stay tuned, I am working on uh, getting some East Palestine residents back together again, either later this week or next week to get an update on the show. We're absolutely not forgetting uh, the tragedies that have gone on there. Um, but uh, the railroad, Norfolk Southern, uh, currently trying to purchase uh, a, a stretch of railroad owned by the city of Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, the mayor, several politicians really pushing for Norfolk Southern to be able to purchase this. Uh, sounds like a terrible idea because it is. Uh, there's a great story from The Lever uh, that we're going to dive into, as well as some updates on where all of the contaminated water that is being used in the cleanup zone in East Palestine is currently headed at this point in time. Uh, hint, they're shipping it around to go potentially poison some other towns. Um, not great, as you can imagine. Um, but we're going to start off here on uh, on the climate, on climate change. I mean, obviously, we have had just a, a wild summer. And before we get in here, too, uh, please smash the like button for folks who are just joining us right now. Uh, it helps get this out to more folks. It's an easy, free thing you can do. If you haven't pressed the like button and you're here watching right now, please do so. Also, I try to keep an eye on the comments as we're going. Good to see the regulars in here uh, for, for uh, you know, e each and every day that we see. So get involved in the comments. We try to keep on them, keep an eye on them. And Super Chats will be read at the end of the show. So please go ahead and do that. Without further ado here, though, um, I don't know what it's been like where you are, but I know where I live here in Austin, Texas, we have had a summer of just absolute record after record. Uh, here, just personal anecdote, we had over 45 days in a row, over 100 degrees, 45 days in a row over 100 degrees, that broke the record by 15 days or something like that. Uh, and then the, the, the break from that was a day where it was 99, followed by another week of 100. Uh, things are absolutely not normal. That's just one anecdote. But Colin, we can go ahead and uh, pull up this uh, clip here from NASA, an article from NASA uh, announcing summer 2023 was the hottest year on record, uh, depicting global temperature anomalies for a meteorological, meteorological summer in 2023, showing how much warmer the, the, the world is there. Obviously, uh, the areas in darker red are warmer than normal. And 
I mean, you can see basically the whole map looking warmer than normal. Uh, reading just a little bit from the article, the months of June, July, and August combined were 0.41 degrees Fahrenheit warmer than any other summer in NASA's record and 2.1 degrees Fahrenheit warmer than the average summer between 1951 and 1980. Um, obviously, uh, uh, alarming numbers here. It's not just NASA showing these sorts of things, though. Um, Colin, we can go ahead and pull up the one from the, I believe it's NOAA. Um, Earth had its warmest August, June, and or sorry, August and June, August period on record, fifth consecutive month of high record global ocean surface temperatures. Should be just the next article, Colin, um, in there. <clears throat> there we go. It looks like it's loading up. I'll, I'll just continue to mention a little bit of what's in it here, but um, you know, the global temperature average is showing in North America, uh, the warmest August and, and uh, June on record. You've got Arctic sea ice extent. I know you guys can't see this on the screen right now. Colin's working on it. Um, there's a little bit of a, a, a visual right there. Um, if you can make that bigger for folks. Uh, you know, Spain, um, they tied 2003 for its warmest August on record. Um, Pakistan and India had prolonged monsoon rains overflowing major rivers. You know, in Hong Kong, they had their warmest August and warmest summer on record. Uh, you know, thing after thing after thing here, global ocean for the fifth consecutive month, global ocean surface temperatures have hit record highs. The list goes on and on and on. Um, it's not just in one place or another place. It's really... Uh, all over the world where this is happening. And frankly, uh, a lot of young folks around the world rightfully see this as their top issue. Um, and uh, just just uh, in the last couple of days here, and really uh, over the, the span of the summer, we've seen a few groups uh, coming out and, and really uh, letting their voices be heard here. Um, but we can go ahead uh, just before we bring on our two guests um, and play uh, something that unfolded at a Pete Buttigieg event earlier uh, in the week. Um, we can go ahead and play that clip and then we will introduce our guests to explain a little bit of what was going on there. Your DOT just approved the Seaport Oil Terminal, a project that will have 80 coal plants worth of greenhouse gas emissions and will worsen air quality in areas that already live in cancer clusters. This is about environmental racism and it's about the climate impacts this project will have. Will you, will you, will you commit to stopping this project? Would you care to address yeah, for sure. So, uh, so this has to do with uh, uh, a set of... Uh... Describe what the proposal is, where it is, and where it is in the process. So I, I don't want to say anything off the cuff, but I respect where it comes from. 80,000 comments have been submitted. Communities have spoken. Go Flink, stop Petro Pete! Stop, spot and go Flink, stop Petro Pete! Stop spot and go flink. Stop Petro P. Think about why he said he cannot speak off the cuff on climate. Please. We're ready to. We're happy to have a conversation with Secretary P. Stop. And fossil fuels be. And fossil fuels.
that is just a taste of uh, yesterday's event that, again, uh, folks from Climate Defiance uh, went in and successfully interrupted that event. Uh, I am pleased to be joined by Micah and Kat, uh, both organizers from the Climate Defiance. Uh, thank you both so much for joining us here live on Status Quo. Um, I guess just to to start off, uh, Kat, if you don't want, if you don't mind kicking us off here, although if, you know if you think Micah uh, should answer, that's that's all fine. Feel free to to you know both both answer these. Uh, what what was the the purpose, I guess, of of yesterday's uh, interruption, if you will? Um, what what was the the goal that you were all trying to achieve that that made you select this event uh, specifically to to target and make uh, Secretary Pete look mighty uncomfortable, if I do say so myself? Um, yeah, I can talk a little bit about that. Um, so the main thing we were protesting was the Department of Transportation's approval of the Seaport Oil Seaport Oil Terminal, or SPOT, um, as you heard us chanting, stop, SPOT, and Gulf Link. Um, and with that, it's been going on for years and years and years. Frontline communities in Freeport, Texas, and Brazoria County, Texas, um, have been fighting against this project for a long time. Um, They've submitted, you know, over 80,000 comments um, to the public register. They have filed a lawsuit against Secretary Pete and the Department of Transportation for approving the project. Um, because, you know, as you just saw, as you mentioned, you know, being from Texas, um, all of the, you know, really scary statistics about how the climate's changing, as you just saw, um, you know, we don't need more fossil fuel expansion, but even more so like the community that is fighting against this does not need more petrochemicals. Uh, we're sitting their air quality, we're sitting their water quality and making it more difficult for them to live like long and happy lives. Um, so that's the main reason it's, you know, more specific than just going after him as, you know, a member of the Biden administration. Um, but, you know, we don't usually get the chance to confront him, you know, in our daily lives. And certainly the people in Texas, um, aren't about to like, can't travel as easily to DC to tell him what they need from him. Um, but you know, we're right here. So, you know, we hope he listens at least. <laughs> right, for sure. And uh, uh, before we get to Micah here, Colin, actually, if we can pull up the article from the Texas Tribune that actually gives a little bit of background on part of this, this project, I'll, I'd like to read a little bit from it here. Um, if we can, if we can pull that up. Uh, headline on it. And this is from about a year ago, uh, a little less than a year ago, Biden administration quietly approves huge Texas oil export project. The seaport oil terminal would be 30 miles off the Texas coast and is one of four proposed offshore terminals designated to dramatically expand the U.S. oil export capacity. I'll just read a couple paragraphs here. Uh, the Biden administration approved plans to build the nation's largest oil export terminal off the Gulf Coast of Texas. I would add 2 million barrels per day to the U.S. oil export capacity. Uh, the approval by the Department of Transportation's Maritime Administration was filed in the Federal Register on Monday without any public comment, uh, or sorry, without any public announcement a day after the United Nations Annual Climate Conference was wrapped uh, in Egypt. Uh, Earthworks, the environmental nonprofit, spotted the filing and publicized approval for the seaport terminal on Tuesday. Uh, President Biden cannot lead on combating climate change, protecting public health, or advocating for environmental justice while simultaneously allowing fossil fuel companies to lock in decades of fossil fuel extraction. The group's senior policy advocate, Kelsey Crane, said in a statement, um, I'm going to scroll down a, a little bit here. Uh, the administration moved, marked a major step forward for the export sector, which has grown rapidly since the U.S. began to allow crude oil sales in uh, crude sales abroad in 2015, the same year that the U.S. helped broker the Paris Climate Accord that called for dramatic reductions in global fossil fuel emissions. Hmm. 
the, the offshore oil uh, export terminal, the first to be approved of four proposed along the Texas Gulf Coast, will enable continued growth in the U.S. shale oil production and global consumption, dealing a substantial setback to the White House's own goals for drastic cuts in carbon emissions by 2030. The article goes on, but um, I'll leave it at that. So uh, obviously, it looks like at least part of this project has, has been approved. Um, is this like an, another stage to it? Or is there another uh, approval uh, that, that we're missing here at, at this point, Micah? Yes, I can't speak to exactly the specifics of this, but I know that they have Pete has approved it. It has gone through his office. And there are a few lawsuits that are currently playing out as we speak. And it is within Pete's power to um to to demonstrate his his rejection of this like he he is still the lead of this department of transportation it has not been it has not started to be built yet there um he is he is the lead guy here like we we basically went to the top like who else are we going to ask we're not going to go talk to the contractors we're not going to they're going to point us up so we went to the top guy and he is the only guy left to talk to so um i can't speak to exactly the nitty-gritty of that process but that's that's my take on it yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. And when you've got the the Biden administration at this point, uh, Colin, I believe I've got a, the, the next uh, 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 link here is uh, talks about the, the Biden administration's uh, first ever blueprint to decarbonize America's transportation sector um, that they put out earlier this year. Uh, and then simultaneously, this same exact administration is putting out plans to create the largest oil you know, ex export uh, facilities at the same time, it's a, a little contradictory, obviously. Um, uh, just reading a little bit of this, it exemplifies the Biden-Harris administration's whole of government approach to addressing the climate crisis and meeting President Biden's goals of securing a 100% clean electrical grid by 2035 and reaching net zero carbon emissions by 2050. I won't read the whole thing because the audience, and I'm sure both of you are very familiar with a lot of the jargon and talk that that the administration will have. Um, I know that, you know, this this is saying that, uh, you know, clean electrical grid and zero carbon emissions in the US. And this facility is for exports. Maybe that's how they're twisting it. Oh, well, we're not going to burn it here. We're just going to extract it from the ground here. It's a not a good excuse, obviously. Um, but uh, I digress in, in that. Um, as far as the tactics that you all are using at Climate Defiance, um, I guess, uh, are, are, are you seeing any sort of successes or is there a reason why you're specifically choosing, uh, these sort of, uh, interruptions, if you will, uh, what other tactics, uh, maybe are, are, are you looking at in the future? I'm just, just curious, uh, you know, behind the scenes when, when you're making these decisions, uh, why are you choosing to do it in this way? Yeah, I mean, I, I could take this question. Um, I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's about, it's like two, there's a twofold reason for having these public disruptions. Uh, number one is obviously to talk to Pete. We, we got to ask him directly, like, why are you approving these projects, which we know will increase um, cancer clusters and will affect these, these places, these will have real effects on real people. We asked him that and he refused to respond. That is the first, the first part. The second part is to really show the public, like, the public might think just by hearing Pete Buttigieg speak or by hearing the Democrats speak that they're doing everything they can to stop oil. And I think by doing this so publicly and not behind closed doors, we're really demonstrating to people that there is a lot more that can be done at the grassroots level uh, to fight against oil. And the Democrats are not currently doing everything they can. Right. Uh, yeah. Do you have anything to add? You feel free, Kat, if you'd like. <clears throat> yeah. And just to say, like, on a broader level, we do this because it works. <laughs> um, 
we've seen like when we confront people and when we make it known, um, you know, to their colleagues, to the audience that they want to reach that, you know, they're doing things, you know, without announcing something like the, the um, seaport oil terminal, um, like we're announcing what they're doing and, you know, we're confronting them face to face, as Micah said. So, you know, we've seen results too. Like we've seen, um, I believe her name was um, a professor at Harvard whose name's escaping me. Um, we confronted her a few months ago um, about like her position on the uh, Canoco Phillips board and she resigned, um, you know, which was the demand that we were making. So like we do this because it works. And right. on another level, like, um, you know, I was sort of at this event because I used to volunteer for Pete's campaign. Um, you know, I'm a little ashamed to admit it, but like, <laughs> um, um, yeah, I mean, oh, that's it. That, 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 and... Yeah, that's it. I I want to ask another a question on that, if if that's okay. I mean, it's it's uh it's even worse when some of these people like kind of project like they they are hyper focused on these sorts of sorts of issues, and I feel like it, it's happening a lot with with especially like trying to attract young voters as young people are getting more and more involved in politics, voting in greater numbers, um, and making these promises uh, or at least like giving the appearance like they really care about these sorts of things but then when push comes to shove they end up in a situation and again i mean even the, the biden administration is has is guilty of this as well um i would say lots of progressive members in congress are guilty of this this sort of thing as well so you are you are actually you know during campaign season it's easy to talk big game so you so you say you're actually volunteering on pete's campaign and now seeing what he's actually doing has been a little frustrating yeah and like i won't get too into it but on the ground like working for climate or working for you know a campaign like that is so much different than you know organizing with something like climate defiance um mm -hmm. and you know part of that is like the nature of you know election seasons like very i'd say toxic maybe um yeah. whereas like what we're organizing um on is like the basis of um direct nonviolent action and you know with the tenants that come along with that, um, you know, we're like encouraging the best in people. We're not trying to, um, you know, go after our competitors per se. Um, and so like part of why I was there yesterday was because, you know, like in 2020, I was definitely a different person. I definitely like, you know, believed a lot of what Pete said and he definitely can talk the talk. Like he, mm -hmm. as we saw yesterday too, like was, you know, trying to, you know, come up with a response that would satisfy us other than, um saying directly that he would commit to stopping uh the seaport oil terminal but at the end of the day like he is in his office because he wants to gain more power and he wants to become president um i think he's planning on running in 2028 and we are there because um of the solidarity we have with the community in texas and because of you know our beliefs that we should have a livable planet um and that we should be leaving something for future generations and so you know, those are things I still believe back in 2020. And, you know, at the time, I thought that, you know, Pete being the way that he presented himself would believe those things too. But seeing his actions, those definitely speak louder than words. Um, and so that's why it like is very important for us to confront him about it directly, um, because we know that he's not necessarily going to listen to the 80,000 public comments that were left. We know he's not going to listen to the protesters asking him to come visit their communities. We know he's going to listen to you know, the court of public opinion and how many votes he can get. And if, you know, we can get in the way of some of those votes, then maybe he'll listen to us. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, so many of these people are are very talented speakers, talented politicians. 
I can, I can, uh, I understand a little bit of what you're talking about is like, as far as being in New Hampshire, I used to live in New Hampshire. I lived in New Hampshire during the 2020 primaries and it's, it can be toxic. It can be cool. Like it's pretty wild to be able to see all of these candidates and you can see how like, you know, when somebody is good at talking, it makes such a big difference. You can see the room just like absolutely melt for one person or another. Oh, yeah, and for sure. <laughs> really effectively did that in New Hampshire pretty, pretty well. Um, and then you get to start to see the true colors like you do with so many politicians, not to specifically pick on Pete here, but, um, you know, uh, it, it happens with all of them. Um, I guess uh, on, a, on a similar subject here, I mean, um, it's it's related. It's, it's not related in, in some sense as well. I mean, we're seeing uh, right now um, the on, on the Republican side of the aisle, how much power just a handful of members of Congress can have uh, when they choose to use the power that they have. Uh, I'm referring uh, right now to what's going on with the Speaker of the House. Uh, also, what we saw them do back in January with the Speaker of House. Uh, but but just recently, I mean, the, the motion to vacate the chair, eight representatives removed Kevin McCarthy, essentially uh from from the speaker of the house uh so many democrats have run on this idea that you know the the like the climate issue here is like the biggest existential threat this is our number one issue um you know the first two years of the biden presidency the democrats had a majority in the house i know it was slim but um you know wouldn't it be nice to see some of these these Democrats who are running? I mean, they're running in districts where it's overwhelmingly popular. That statement that I just said that the climate is the top issue. Someone like AOC uh, and others, if they were to hold things up to be able to push for more meaningful legislation towards the climate, they wouldn't be struggling for votes. They would get more votes. Um, what What is it you think is happening here when we're seeing some of these politicians who are running on these issues? Uh, that they're not using the power when they have it um, and end up just kind of folding into, you know, what whatever the establishment is telling them at, that, at the, the, this point in time. Yeah, I mean, for me, for me, what makes me upset the most is that we as activists are doing everything we can do. Like we're pushing we're pushing the limits of 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 how we can interact and how we can have a voice in our government. We are we're going on stage with him and we're asking him directly, why are you approving this? And so we're doing everything we can do, but I know that he's not doing everything that he can do with the power that he has. He's doing everything that his donors want him to do and his mm -hmm. and the people that fund him want him to do. And so for me, it really is about pushing these pushing these politicians who we know have more power than they let on mm -hmm. to do everything that they can do instead of instead of everything that they want to do. Right. No. Yeah, I think I think that's well said. Um, uh, I want to play another uh, clip here just of uh, I don't think that you all were directly involved with this one today, uh, necessarily, although correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, but uh, just today, Climate Defiance had another uh, action that went fairly viral online. Uh, Colin, we can go ahead and play uh, the next clip with the Deputy Energy Secretary. Secretary from the Department of Energy, David Turk. Secretary Turk. <laughs> Excuse me, Secretary Turk. I'm sorry for interrupting, um, but um, we really need to talk about CP2. Uh, this is a massive proposed LNG terminal, um, and it only needs the approval from the Department of Energy, your department. So I'm calling on you today to please do as we've been talking about today. Listen to the youth. 
and demand, please do not accept. Secretary Turk, we are very concerned about the CP2 project that is going up in Louisiana. We very much want you and the Department of Energy to say no to fossil fuel infrastructure such as this. We are deeply concerned about the climate and the environment as you are. So we want to say no CP2, no CP2. No CP2, Turk, no CP2. Yeah, so that's again just kind of another uh, direct action here, and and from what I can understand, I mean that bringing it to someone in the correct department who is going to be voting on this sort of thing. So I, I noticed that, and I was kind of one of you brought it up already here that like you know we're bringing it to the person who is the decision maker and interrupting at that specific person's event, um, and I think that that's a, a really smart way to do it because you know if they're not listening to your public comments, your emails, I mean you see so many projects happen across the country. I, I see these things. Uh, so where I live in Austin, they're working on a freeway expansion right now. And it's you go through a public comment section and everyone submits and it's like 99% of them are against it. And then they put out the next version of the project. And it's like, Oh, well, now it's four lanes wider, but we added a little, uh, a, they'll call it like a trail along the side of something. And it's like, Oh, nice, a trail along a like 12 lane highway. Thank you. Like, that's what the public comment section gets you so often. Um, so, uh, I, I would say uh, great work on like bringing it directly, uh, to the people, uh, who are there, um, uh, to kind of wrap things up a, a little bit here. So what, what sort of advice do you have for folks who want to, you know, get more involved either with, with climate defiance directly, um, or maybe they're not as, uh, you know, brave or loud to be able to go interrupt an event like this. Uh, what, what sort of advice would you have for folks who want to get more involved, uh, to try to, you know help on this issue of climate and, and influencing uh, their their representatives and politicians. Uh, Kat, you can go first if you want. Yeah, um, I would just say that like sort of any way we can, um, you know, try and build a better future for ourselves is like worth the effort that you're going to put into it. Um, and with climate defiance specifically, like I know I personally was a little hesitant and anxious, you know, to like be as confrontational because like normally I'm not a very like confrontational person, but like um, the organization has made it a lot easier for me to, you know, step into that role and, you know, accommodate the needs that I would need to be there. Um, so like, if you're hesitant about it, I would say like, you know, reach out to us on social media. It's just at climate defiance on like Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, that kind of thing. Um, and like, even if you're not like, you know, ready to stand up to someone like Pete, um, like we're happy for any help, like anyone can give. Um, and in like a broader sense too, like, you know, we're doing a lot of difficult work, like confronting these people. Um, but like, we're also doing a lot of work, like to build community. I know, like, personally, in my life too, like, um, I do a lot of work with like the community garden at um, my school. So like, you know, this is a large part of like activism for me, but it's not the only part too. Um, so like, I feel like it's really important to say that as well, because like, 
working with climate defiance does give me a lot of hope and like it makes me feel like I have a lot more power than um, I would just on my own confronting these people or like submitting a public comment. Um, and so that like allows me to continue that work in other aspects of my life, I guess, um, and vice versa as well. For sure. Uh, Micah, anything you want to add? Yeah, totally. Um, I think that was really well said. Um, I, I really love the point about building community, building a community that doesn't necessarily believe that the end all be all is what the leaders say. We talked about how there's a lot of different uh, issues that are connected with this issue of climate, because we talked about how this specifically is a racial issue. It's an economic issue. It's going to affect communities that are predominantly minority and that are poor. Um, so I personally am also involved in other activism along lines of economic issues and all of those things. So I think it's really important not just to build a strong climate movement, but to connect that to a broader leftist um, movement that is challenging the narrative that our leaders are telling us. No, absolutely. Um, well, uh, big thanks to both of you for, for taking the time. Um, and again, uh, you can uh, search for Climate Defiance on any social media um, to go uh, follow them directly and uh, see if you can get involved locally. Um, thank you both so much for taking the time. Uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, you're welcome back on anytime. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks. All right. Again, uh, that was Micah and Kat with Climate Defiance. Um, great hearing directly from folks who were involved. Again, both of them were, were at the event uh with pete Buttigieg yesterday um really really uh love to see people like, like i mentioned to them bring it directly to the decision makers um and uh who doesn't love seeing uh some of the uh the the elites in politics in corporate america whatever it may be uh feeling a little uncomfortable uh for once and to be put in their place to realize that hey um you actually work for these people um, not for the donors, the corporate interests, and the like, who are really pulling so many of the strings behind the scenes, unfortunately. Um, with that being said, please smash the like button to help get this out to more folks. We got to get more folks in here right now. Also, if you're seeing us for the first time right now, please hit subscribe down below. It's an easy way to help support us for free. Um, we, if you don't know, have been on the ground covering the United Auto Workers strike for almost 25 days. This is where, you know, our, our cameraman, John Farina, was out there literally for 25 days in a row. He needs a little bit of a break right now. Uh, you had Jordan on the ground there. You had uh, Tina. You had Ron Pocone on the ground, which was awesome to see. Um, that's the sort of stuff we're normally doing. I mentioned East Palestine a bit at the beginning of the show. We are going to be talking about Norfolk Southern in a second here. Um, you know, I, I've spent, I've had four trips to East Palestine. Uh, next week, we're looking to, to bring some East Palestine residents back on the show to get an update as to what is going on there. Uh, Jordan has spent you know, eight, nine years reporting in Flint, Michigan, uh, Kalamazoo, whatever it may be, there are not many independent media outlets that do more than just, you know, sitting in a studio talking. Uh, so many of them neglect to go out and talk to real Americans on the ground and understand the lived experience of what is actually happening in this country. And I can tell you from some firsthand experience, uh, there is some horrific shit, frankly, happening in this country that nobody seems to care about. Uh, Everything is just status quo. Things continue to move on, uh, and that is not okay. If you want to become a member and help support this sort of reporting, I know at the end of our UAW trip, our member website was down, but it is back up and running. Statusquo.com slash join is the place to do so for as little as 5 to $10 a month. 
Uh, it may say, not sound like uh, $5 a month would be supporting us very much, um, but it really makes a huge difference when we get hundreds and thousands of people uh, to chip in just at $5 a month. Uh, you also get exclusive access to member videos. We've had just, I believe, one or two posted in the last couple of days. Uh, one of them was actually Ron Pacone interviewing our uh, normally behind the camera man, John Farina, about his 25 days on the ground with the United Auto Workers strike. Um, you definitely don't want to miss that one. Um, and uh, a, a whole bunch more. We do monthly member calls, things of that nature. Um, uh, ba -ba -ba. Uh, all right. Um, with that being said, uh, we are going to move on here now to something that kind of shocked me when I read this earlier today. Great story uh, from Lever News uh, from Julia Rock. Uh, Julia wrote some great pieces in the beginning of the East Palestine derailment story, actually, um, really diving into all of the specifics on the legislative side of things. Um, really, really in-depth of all of the laws surrounding the, uh, the, the breaking systems and all of this sort of stuff. That was really who was breaking a lot of that news was uh, Julia Rock with other folks um, at Lever News. But uh, Colin, we can go ahead and uh, pull this one up here. I can find it here as well. Um, toxic rail sale um, to give a little bit of con or, uh, we're just going to read into it a bit here uh, and then we'll we're going to talk more about it on the other side um, so toxic rail sale Cincinnati voters will soon decide whether to sell their publicly owned railroad to Norfolk Southern the corporation behind the East Palestine derailment disaster next month the company behind an Ohio train derailment that triggered a toxic inferno and national scandal could close a lucrative deal at the urging of elected officials and company executives, the state's third largest city could sell railroad giant Norfolk Southern more than 300 miles of track, one of the last publicly owned stretches of rail line in America. Earlier this year on February 3rd, a Norfolk Southern train derailed in East Palestine and the company subsequently released a plume of dangerous chemicals over the small town. The fiery catastrophe spurred calls for national crackdown on rail monopolies that have slashed their workforces to pad profits and enrich investors while opposing new safety regulations on trains transporting hazardous materials. While no crackdown has occurred, the cloud of the disaster looms over a November ballot measure in Cincinnati, Ohio, asking voters to approve the sale of the city's publicly owned rail line to Norfolk Southern, which has been operating on the tracks since the 19th century. As part of the city's deal with Norfolk Southern, the rail company agreed to fund third-party campaigns to persuade voters to approve the sale in November. Now, voters are being bombarded with ads and mailers that argue ceding control of the railroad would be a win for residents by providing a tax-free source of funding for infrastructure projects without naming the buyer. Public ownership gives you control. It's an inherently flexible ownership form, said Thomas Hanna, the founder and president of the Institute for De Democratic Economy and Society and an expert on public ownership. Quote, it allows you as a community to make certain decisions about what you would like to use that asset for and what you would like to not use that asset for. There's a lot of debate about what the railroad is worth in financial terms, but I think we have to consider what the railroad is worth in a larger perspective. Cincinnati is the only city in America to own interstate rail tracks, and the publicly owned line that runs to Chattanooga is a rare stretch amid a national freight system that is almost exclusively privately owned and operated. The proposed sale would abdicate the city's ability to use the right-of-way as it pleases, slamming the door on future possibilities like securing better terms during lease renegotiations, running passenger trains along the line, or using the associated rights of way as a conduit for broadband or renewable energy infrastructure. Voters from across the political spectrum question whether a one-time payment of $1.6 billion is worth relinquishing such a valuable asset. 
337 miles of tracks, signals, tunnels, and other infrastructure, as well as 9,500 acres of right-of-way. If the sale goes through, the revenue will be put into a trust fund and the investment returns will be used to fund infrastructure projects for the city. I'm going to skip down a little bit here. This part, uh, you know, J.D. Vance and Sherrod Brown, Senators for Ohio, are basically staying out of it. Um, uh, and there was one other section I wanted to read. That's okay. Well, uh, I, I'll, I'll kind of characterize the rest of it here. But again, essentially, just, just to recap some of this, um, you've got this, the city of Cincinnati, third largest city in the state of Ohio. Currently, the city owns the right of way of the tracks. Now, in most of the rest of the country, the big three railroads own the rail right of ways. So that's, you know, CSX, Norfolk Southern, um, uh, BNSF. They own their rail right of way like 99 times out of 100. Uh, in the case of East Palestine, Norfolk Southern owns the right of way going through town. They can do what they want with the right of way. Um, East Palestine doesn't, you know, and other towns along the line don't really have any authority, um, even if they were to pass laws. Uh, that could mean the state passing laws, the village passing laws, and it's not just Ohio. Um, I've had on the show a couple times uh, Pennsylvania representative Abigail Salisbury. Um, her and her colleagues in the state of Pennsylvania were trying to pass railroad legislation within the state. And she was like, yeah, well, you know, we are passing this sort of thing, right, which is good and is sending a message. But if the railroads don't like it, they will challenge this in court and they're going to win at the Supreme Court if it ever got that far, because the federal government is the only body really who can control the railroads, right? Uh, so, you know, when you have a, a city owned right of way, the city can make the decisions of what to do with that right of way. Um, when it's not owned by the city anymore, it's basically just fully up to the federal government uh, as to what can happen here and how the railroads are regulated. Since the East Palestine derailment, and I've said this a whole bunch of times, uh, you know, obviously Senator J.D. Vance and Sherrod Brown, the Democrat and the Republican from Ohio, as well as a whole bunch of other senators put forward a Railway Safety Act, and it's gone exactly nowhere since this happened. Back in March, I said, you know, if this isn't, you know, if they don't pass this now, each day that this gets past the East Palestine derailment is another, you know, the percentage of likelihood of this thing getting passed goes down and down and down until this bill is just turned into not anything real, but just uh, some BS. So we did something. Um, it's already basically at this point, but uh, I digress. It's, 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 it's a whole mess. So uh, at this point, again, the city is grappling with do we sell this do we don't do we not sell this now the mayor and basically all of the politicians in the city of cincinnati are saying sell the railroad let's sell it there's been advertising campaigns going out and colin i don't know if i added this too late uh or not do we have um uh okay give me a second no no, no we're good we do have that there um uh, there's been an advertising campaign essentially that's gone out and in those ads and whatnot it isn't really saying that it's Norfolk Southern buying it. They're just saying, we're going to sell the railroad. We're going to sell the railroad. We're going to sell the railroad. Um, fortunately for folks in Cincinnati and the rest of Ohio, um, this isn't just up to the politicians. It is going up on a ballot measure. Uh, so the citizens of Cincinnati who technically own this um, are the ones who are going to decide. It'll be on the ballot in November. Um, it is an off election year. However, there is a an abortion uh, piece of abortion legislation on the ballot uh in november so that could actually drive up turnout uh for this and i think increased turnout if the messaging gets out appropriately 
um, could point this in the direction of voters being like, mm, no, we don't want Norfolk Southern to own this necessarily. But if the message doesn't get out there, uh, we'll ultimately see. Uh, the mayor, though, is shilling hard for this <laughs> in, in Cincinnati. Um, we've got a, a clip from the local news that I would love uh, to play here if we can go ahead and play that, Colin. So it's important for know, for people to know this rail line is not just in the city. It goes way beyond the city. It includes the property. Norfolk Southern is the only railroad that will be able to buy it. It was the only option because it had been leasing the, the railway from yeah. the city. Their reputation took a big, big hit earlier this year with that East Palestine train disaster. So what do you say to people about safety aspects or worries about Norfolk Southern having all of this property and the railway? Yeah, I, I think it's completely legitimate and fair. And what I would say to those folks is the environmental and human catastrophe that is continuing to unfold in East Palestine is absolutely inexcusable. And we should absolutely hold Norfolk Southern accountable for staying in that community and helping pay for the response and the remediation. If you don't trust Norfolk Southern, if you don't want Cincinnati to have anything to do with Norfolk Southern, then you need to vote to sell. Because by selling, we are divorcing ourselves from Norfolk Southern. If we but they're don't still sell, in the community if, we if they own the railway, right? If we right? don't sell, Norfolk Southern and the city are locked into a 20, at least a 25-year marriage. Now, let's get to this point about safety. Mm -hmm. I agree. Safety is our top priority. But irrespective of who owns the railroad, whether it's us or Norfolk Southern, the federal government is the only entity that can regulate and manage the railroad. The city has no power. In fact, we're prohibited by federal law from doing that. So here's the fact pattern that keeps me up at night. Uh, so if you don't want to be married to Norfolk Southern anymore, you should literally sell them the land so that they are physically stuck inside of Cincinnati. What? Uh, like, okay, so so currently it's a, it's a, the, the lease situation is they've been doing leases every 25 years and they're paying, I believe it was $25 million for those leases, which is probably far too low on the dollar amounts that they're charging. But it's, it's, it's not a marriage anymore, sure, I guess, if if they buy the property but it's more uh like a forced marriage at least with a lease at the end of the 25 year lease you can end it and it's done but if you sell the railroad to the company here in question norfolk southern they just own that property forever so you're now stuck with them forever which is is absolutely wild and i mean even the, the the local news person did ask that question directly saying yes they'd be in the community forever at that point then yes um but uh he ends up going on and, and spouting all sorts of nonsense um after that um you know i'm seeing a couple comments here and i i tend to agree here on on, on a lot of them is that you know First off, most of the rail lines in the United States are currently privatized. That is not how it looks in most of the rest of the world. So many communities right now wish that they owned these rail lines because right now, if you want to increase your public transit, if you want to build, you know, upgrade your utilities, uh, all sorts of things, these rail lines are, you know, the, the, these rail right of ways are some of the only places in cities where it's easy to do this without displacing homes and, and the like. Um, instead, you have these companies, uh, these freight companies who own them, and when they own them, of course, they're going to have priority uh, on on using them, even though we have some very light garbage legislation saying passenger rail gets priority, blah, 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 blah. In, in practice, that's not actually what happens. So if you ever were, you know, tying this back to climate, like at the beginning of this, if you ever did want to 
you know, increase alternative modes of transportation, whether that be, you know, just uh, like light rail or, or trains in your cities or trains connecting your cities, high-speed rail, owning these right-of-ways is the way to do it. It's so much cheaper than than building new right-of-ways and, and eminent domain on properties and all this sort of stuff. Um, a lot of the, the right-of-ways are there. It's just that we've allowed corporate America to own them. Um, at this point, it does not make any sense, you know, to, to, to sell the, basically the last remaining stretch. I'm exaggerating a little bit. I'm sure it's not the last remaining stretch of public railway. But if anything, we should be going the other way and acquiring these railroad stretches, these railroad railways back from the uh, railways here and, and putting them back into public control. Um, Definitely an interesting story there. Um, uh, I, I'm very curious to, to how it's going to come out. Um, Colin, I don't, did we, I, I think I pasted this in after I told you, do we have the Facebook ad or do we not to play? Uh, it's, it's only 15 seconds. If we don't have it, it's totally fine. Um, Cincinnati, we have a big opportunity to upgrade fire stations to save lives, fix city roads, and improve parks and playgrounds. By selling this old freight railway, we will have the money to fix all that. Vote yes. So basically, again, uh, not saying it's Norfolk Southern buying these necessarily uh, and just saying um, vote yes to sell this and we'll build you new playgrounds and fire stations. Um, none of the backstory, uh, but that's that's how it works. Um, whatever. Uh, that's uh, at this point, uh, nothing surprises me. Uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on this as it gets closer to the uh, November ballot. And we'll see if there's anyone we can talk to on this. So uh, yeah, that, that would be great. One other thing here, again, sort of East Palestine adjacent um, is uh, something that actually Colin flagged for me this morning. Um, a big question has been going on about the wastewater in East Palestine. So uh, I meant to grab photos of this. I don't have them. But essentially in East Palestine, in the cleanup area at Ground Zero, uh, there has been a whole water treatment system essentially in place where the water that they're using at the ground zero for, for the cleanup, where they're washing vehicles, where they're spraying things down, uh, has actually, and you know, when it rains in that area, a lot of that water has been collected into these giant, giant blue, uh, uh, a lot of residents there jokingly call them like the Shamu tanks, because that's kind of what they look like is like, a, you could literally put like a whale in some of these things. They're like million plus gallon tanks uh, where the water is being held. Um, and treated in some fashion uh, before now being shipped out of East Palestine uh, to another town. Um, a lot of people have been wondering what the deal is with this uh, mystery water, if you will, where it's going, how it's being treated. Um, and some of those answers are, are kind of coming into play here. Uh, so, Colin, we can go ahead and pull up the article from The Guardian. Um, a Sacrifice Zone. East Palestine's wastewater is flooding into this Ohio community. Um, mounted on the wall above Mark Mills' head was a model of large northern of a large northern pike. This area is one of the most southerly places in the country that you can catch them, said Mills, the mayor of Coshocton, a town of 11,000 in Ohio's Appalachian foothills. I'm probably butchering this name, so sorry to anyone from Coshocton. Maybe I'm getting it right. I don't know. Uh, Coshocton's natural liberty and the outdoor pursuits industry attract thousands of people worldwide, generating $60 million annually for the local economy. The local visitors bureau sends packages to people in, county, in countries as far away as Poland. But Mills and many other locals are afraid all this is now under attack. In recent weeks, thousands of gallons of wastewater from February's toxic 
chemical derailment site in East Palestine, 100 miles to the north, are being delivered to an injection well outside of town. Owned by Buckeye Brine, a private company, the injection wells will see the wastewater pumped thousands of feet underground for storage. It has become a major concern for Coshocton residents and fueled protests. If you pump millions of gallons of something into the ground, at some point, it's going to affect everybody, Mills told The Guardian recently. It doesn't take a NASA scientist to know that all it's going to take is one geological occurrence of ground shifting, and we're going to be stuck with this issue. On February 3rd, 51 cars derailed from a Norfolk Southern train outside East Palestine, dumping about 100,000 gallons of hazardous chemicals and triggering a huge fire that burned for days. Hydrogen chloride, phosgene, a poisonous compound, were released into the air. Cleanup has lasted and cleanup has lasted months and produced tens of millions of gallons of wastewater laced with vinyl chloride, a known carcinogen. Ohio's Emergency Management Agency reported in August that crews had collected and disposed of eight. 88,500 tons of hazardous and solid waste and 28 million gallons of surface and groundwater characterized as hazardous waste. Buckeye Bryan told The Guardian that the wastewater being injected underneath Coshocton is rainwater and runoff from vehicles collected after operating in the affected site. The federal and Ohio EPA says the wastewater has been treated to drinking water safety levels. I'm sure it is. The water is treated in batches and then sampled and sent back to the Environmental Protection Agency approved lab. Buckeye Brines manager Susie Patterson said the data for each individual batch is then sent to Norfolk Southern, the Ohio EPA, the US EPA for analysis and approval before being scheduled for transportation to Buckeye Brine. Uh, the article continues to go on here. Uh, if you want to read the whole thing, we'll make sure you've got a link there. But uh, let me uh, break it to you folks. Um, at this point, I have lost count of the amount of things that the EPA has lied about or mischaracterized as far as just the East Palestine debacle goes. Um, that's the one that I know the most about. So I can't even imagine how many other things that they've been at the least mischaracterizing, if not lying about. Um, so to say that this wastewater is being treated to drinking water standards, um, that, that doesn't mean a whole lot to me. Uh, who knows what where, where these samples are coming from how they're doing it um that's great that they're also sending it to norfolk southern cool um but to be taking this water and essentially injecting it into the ground for like underground storage if it's treated to drinking water standards why are you injecting it into the ground so that it's very difficult to find and test for anybody else that feels a little weird to me if it's treated to drinking water standards, why isn't it just, you know, going down the drain like everything else? I wonder why. Why are you trucking it 100 miles, trucking clean drinking water 100 miles away? Last I checked, people in East Palestine are stuck drinking bottled water. And I want to be clear here and say I do not think the people of East Palestine should be drinking this water because I don't trust the EPA for a second. But this is clean drinking water that they, they're, they're processing it right on site and it's clean. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, at this point, how how many things have the EPA lied about, mischaracterized at this point? Um, let's let's go through a couple just for for uh, remembering's sake. Um, it started off three days after the derailment, less than three days after the derailment. The US EPA told everyone, "Yep, air's fine, all good. Go ho go ahead and go home, no problems. Um, yeah, yeah, it's fine to take your your kids home, your pets home, all the sort of stuff." Parents start bringing their kids home, their pets home. They start getting sick. 
people are smelling things. Oh, it's a, yeah, you might smell it. It's okay though. If you smell it, it's just it's just butyl acrylate. The 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 odor threshold for that's really low, but it's still fine to be home. It's still totally good to be home, says the EPA. Clearly was not the case. Even now you've still got people sick in their homes. Um so so that's that's the air. You've got the water, the creeks in East Palestine have been contaminated still. I mean, the last, when I was there in August, you flip rocks in the creeks and you're still seeing rainbow plumes. I've seen videos from from East Palestine residents like uh, Rick Tsai and and or, yeah, Rick Chai and and uh, Eric Kaza and Christina Seisloff where they're flipping rocks in the creek and they're still getting rainbow colors now. I mean, it's it's October. February, March, April, May, June, July, September, October. Eight months later, eight. That's insane. But the water's fine. The water's all good. The drinking water, they've said that the drinking water is fine. But in reality, we don't, we're not going to know. It might be fine right now, sure. But that drinking water needs to be continuously tested basically every month because these, these chemicals can slowly seep down into the ground. We've stood on the ground right near the East Palestine City Park where the contaminated creek overflowed basically right on the edge of where the town's drinking water supply comes from, where the Ohio uh, EPA themselves says that the ground contamination protection is essentially zero feet. It's only a matter of time before that starts to become an issue. The indoor air. Man, I've, I've written a whole bunch of stories and talked at length about the EPA's failure to test for indoor air quality. The devices that they're using are bogus. They won't go back and do another round. They think that the independent testers are just all crazy in la-la land, even though they're, many of them are, are you know, well-esteemed experts. You've got university professors from some of the best universities in the country. But this water, we got to believe them this time. The water is absolutely two drinking water quality standards. I'm sure it's totally fine. No big deal at all. I'm sure it's totally fine. Right? I don't know. Uh, we'll 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 see uh, where this ends up going. But um, yeah, I mean, same same deal. We're we're gonna kind of keep an eye on this, and uh, maybe we'll see if we can get somebody from Kashokton on soon to hear directly from the folks who are are having this this happen uh, in their town. Again, a hundred miles away from East Palestine, they're just trucking this water away. Meanwhile, again, folks in East Palestine still dealing with uh, with with issues here. Um, from the derailment back in February. So uh, definitely outrageous to see uh, the just continuation of the poisoning of America um, through one means or another, whether it's back at the beginning of the show, we're talking about the expansion of all of these uh, oil and gas exports with the climate defiance folks. Um, uh, big thanks again for them for coming on. That was, uh, that, that was great to hear directly from some of those folks. But um, with all that being said, I'm going to start to wrap this up here soon. I do want to take a peek, uh, something that was happening today uh, potentially we were going to be seeing a new speaker of the house vote happening today or tomorrow. Um, at last check I saw, uh, there, the Republicans did have a closed door meeting on this, uh, trying to essentially rally behind one candidate behind closed doors so that they can avoid the embarrassment of multiple rounds of voting again, as we've seen time and time again now. Um, behind closed doors, it looked like, uh, current, uh, GOP whip, uh, Steve Scalise uh, won the majority of the votes. Um, however, uh, it was not the amount that would be needed uh, to actually become the Speaker of the House. Uh, he ended up with, uh, uh, let's see, 
Steve Scalise did get the majority, but 107 members of the GOP voted for somebody else. Uh, again, this is behind closed doors. I'm imagining a lot of those other votes uh, went to uh, Jim Jordan, um, but we'll be curious to see. Um, but uh, yeah, it looks like no no real update there, but we very well could be seeing uh, another showdown for the Speaker of the House. Again, that is still an empty seat at this point um, as uh, as we sit here today. So we'll be definitely curious to see uh, tomorrow if we get any updates there. Um, I am going to go ahead here and read some super chats. It looks like we got a couple of them. Um, oh, we got a couple comments at least. Uh, it's now bo- <laughs> this is just a funny. I don't know. It's now bottled as Monster Dew. There you go. That's the uh, that's actually pretty funny because the, the the water did look uh, look interesting. I appreciate that comment. We did get a uh, a six dollar uh, donation uh, online at statusku.com/slash/donate. Uh, so six bucks from Darlene. We appreciate that donation, Darlene. Thank you so much for donating. Uh, again, that is another place you can donate. Um, and yeah, we, we really appreciate that. Again, if you do want to become a member to support some of our on-the-ground reporting, statuscoup.com slash join is the place to do so for as low as 5 to 10 bucks a month to support the on-the-ground trips, such as the UAW strike coverage that we did all the last month, essentially. Um, East Palestine coverage, which we talked a little bit about right now, and so much more. Uh, if you're able to help us out in that way, statuscoup.com slash join is the place to do so. But that being said, thank you all so much for watching today. Really appreciate it. And I'm going to be back again tomorrow. Same time, same place, uh, right here on Status Coup. Uh, if you're not subscribed, please hit the subscribe button down below and you will be uh, notified if you click that bell uh, to make sure you make it in time for tomorrow. Thank you all so much for watching. Really appreciate it. And have a fantastic night.